This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raftopoulos. How are we, Johnny? <laughs> We're in heaven, aren't we, Dan? Uh, it's been 57 years since there was a grand old flag in Demon Land, and we've got a shot to make that that drought disappear, but uh, we've got a very worthy opponent as well in the Western Bulldogs who, you know, we were all very happy to see them break through about, you know, 2016. And, yeah, it's going to be a great grand final, I think. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to look forward to, but, yeah, the two weeks is a bit annoying, but I guess it's just one other thing you got to deal with, eh? Not a massive fan of it. Um, I think look, we're just going to have to wait and see how it goes to make any real judgments on it, but, yeah, at this stage, I could probably do without it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, <laughs> so we've done... Roughly an hour on Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the other game yep. because this was this was a big one. Like I think uh, you know, most people were weren't really giving the Bulldogs much of a chance. They had Keith out injured, important uh, tall defender. Bont was under a bit of an injury cloud, and uh, you know Port looked all powerful against Geelong. Few people were giving Bulldogs a chance, but I think the prevailing opinion was that Port were going to get yep. through here. Yeah. I definitely thought Port was going to take the chocolates. I thought it would be close-ish. Uh, I thought the Bulldogs would run them, but uh, I just thought that maybe Port had a little bit too much class with the ball and they'd kick the winning score. Yeah, I guess if we look back at the actual games they played this year, maybe it would have given us a bit more of a hint on what was actually going to happen. Because in both of those games, the Bulldogs got a very fast start against Port, and they actually beat them by 19 points in the corresponding fixture at Adelaide Oval. So I think there were some clues here. And when Port beat them, that was right in the middle of the Bulldogs' downturn in form. So it was all there for someone who did a bit of digging here to see that the Bulldogs were pretty well set up for this matchup. Yeah, and I think there was a little bit of recency bias with a lot of people. I mean, getting it... I think people got a bit giddy over Port's form in the last month. Uh, it was just easy to forget that over a month ago, they were a, they were a pretty flaky outfit, let's be honest. They couldn't, couldn't beat a top eight team, uh, really struggled to find any contested ball winners at some point, apart from Boken ones, but... Uh, and also, just to add on to that, Johnny, they did have six games through the year that they won by under a goal. Yeah, absolutely. So you even split those three and three, and they're nowhere near the top exactly. four. Exactly. I just think, that, and look, when they play their best, I think they're up there when they play their best, and they're great to watch. It's easy to kind of fall in love with the way they play, but look, it, 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 it's where it matters, you know? Like It's great that they won that one in round 23. It was a fantastic win, but... You know, what's the one that matters? <laughs> this was the one that matters. Let's quickly recap the action, and then we've got a couple of questions. So uh, the Dogs kick the first five of the game in 15 minutes, 900 seconds. So gone in 900 seconds there, Johnny. No coming back. So it was, they were just... They were just killing the power once the ball hit the ground, whether it be around stoppage or just in contest. They were first to it and making the power look completely meek and uh, second rate, really. They made them look pathetic. They really did. Um, they made them look like a bunch of under-12s, seriously. Uh, 
I thought that yeah, this the pressure from the start from the dogs, the ground pressure. It's just oh, it's incredible when when they're playing like that. Uh, the way they used it out of the middle as well seemed to really catch Port off guard. There seemed to be just like an extra link in the handball chain, and it kept them second guessing a bit. And it even it, it forced guys like Aaliyah to play man on man, and yeah, they just weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that at all. All right, I got this one for you, Johnny. Four times as many scoring shots in the opening half. 12-8-80 to 3-4-22. Wow. That is a shellacking. Yeah. And it was a difference of 30 contested possessions in the first quarter. Don't know what Port did in their pregame routine, but safe to say it did not work. They were not prepared for what the Bulldogs dished up here. That's not a shellacking. That's the mother of all shellackings. That's just... That is absolutely incredible. And they kept, the camera kept panning to Ken Hinckley during that first quarter. I felt so sorry for Ken. But there was nothing he could do. He was just he was as gobsmacked as you and me. I, I, yeah. To serve this up in front of your home crowd after the week off and being a heavy favourite to go through to the grand final, like, it was just almost unthinkable. Like, I think even the people who were giving the Bulldogs a chance were saying, oh, it's it's going to be a close game. Like, you don't expect anything no. like this to happen in an interstate prelim. No. Um, and for some reason, I've just randomly thought of, uh, I think it was the 2014 Soccer World Cup. <laughs> um, the semi-final... This was in Brazil, and in the semi-final, I think it was Germany smashing them seven or eight nil in their backyard. There's just you'll never live that down ever. <laughs> nah, it's terrible. So just a little, few more details about that first half where the damage was done. Norton was an absolute beast, flying for contested marks and uh, marking everything, sticky hands, kicking truly. Hannon was another destroyer up forward, super clean and clinical on the ground and with his shots for goal. And uh, just in general, the dogs were so much harder and cleaner around the ball. Uh, Port was so fumbly, it wasn't funny, and the dogs were making them pay for every single one of those fumbles. Yeah, and the masterstroke move of uh, of putting of, of having Josh Shackey go to Aaliyah, it, it seemed to really work a treat. And Aaliyah got a few good marks early, but he was really chopping and butchering the ball. Like just when he was kicking, it turned it over. The pressure was really getting to him. But that was that seemed to be a good move. Um, yeah, incredible. Yeah, he was playing from behind, wasn't he? he? Was. Like not letting him. Sort of, uh, I guess one thing Elian will normally do is he'll look where the forwards are leading, and if he thinks he's leading to the wrong spot, he'll just go wherever he yeah, wants. Exactly. But Mike, it's very hard to do that if the guy's playing you from behind. And the other thing he was doing was he was putting some body contact on him, so yeah. making it much harder for him to fly for the uh, mark. Especially yeah, when the ball's in flight, absolutely yeah. So what do you think Elia could have actually done? Because we talked in previous weeks about. If you're the, you know, awesome intercept defender, if someone's playing on you, it shouldn't actually matter. Well, that's what I said. I think, no, you're right. Oh, I, I think I still agree with that. However, it is a challenge that you kind of have to overcome, as is any sort of tagging 
role, if you want to call it that. He did look a bit spooked, didn't he? he so did. ma- he definitely wasn't ready for he, it. He did, like it's his ability, it's his ability to fly in, obviously disrupt, you know, any sort of forward fifty entries. But honestly, I, I don't, I don't think that was the whole story. I, I, I go back to the way he was kicking, and once he got the ball, I just thought he, he was, the pressure was just on. He kind of just not. I don't want to use the word choked, but. I think he was overcome by that situation, definitely. Yeah. Uh, just one of many Port players, I think. And the other thing I wanted to talk briefly about here is just, you know, Port has a good midfield. Like Maybe it's not the deepest midfield. They've got Wines and Boak in there. But they just couldn't get any clean takeaways from the stoppage. No. So even when they were getting their hands on the ball, it just... They weren't even, They weren't getting in the right positions. They weren't exploding out of stoppage. They couldn't do anything. They just look completely spooked. Absolutely. Such a breakdown as as a team. It just was not working at all. Absolutely. And everything that got them there was just gone. So the Fantasia game that he had against Geelong, how many touches did Fantasia have? I, I don't, wouldn't even know. Uh, Very Robbie few. Gray, as soon as he got the ball, they were onto him like a rash. Rosie, absolute elite kick of the ball. I'm sure he just scuffed it at one point when there was no one on him. Like he got it, he was turning, swinging around to have a snap, and he just went. He just absolutely butchered it, and it went about twenty meters. They, they were spooked. There's no doubt about that. They were absolutely spooked, and this is this is going to haunt them. It's going to haunt them. It makes you wonder, though, doesn't it? Like, what was their mindset like coming in? Surely they didn't just think the dogs were going to roll over. Surely they expected a really hard game. They just weren't ready for it. I, I don't have any explanation no, for what happened This here. is what I don't understand when things like this happen either. I mean, if we had a camera in their rooms, you'd probably see them all jeeing each other up and they probably looked like they were up for it and everything, but it's something that happens when they cross that white line. You're, you were either ready or you aren't for whatever reason. All right. We've got quite a few questions here to work through now. Uh, to try and pick apart this game a little bit as well. So, uh, if Port were playing Brisbane, would they have put in a performance like this? Would the Lions have been able to elicit a performance like this? Or was it really just the dog's pressure that made them go to water? Would the Brisbane Lions have given them a foothold in this game? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I I don't think you can take anything away from the Bulldogs with this. I think it was their pressure, uh, mainly, that did this. Brisbane... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I don't know why. I'm just not convinced. I think, like, I think if Brisbane were playing, I think Port definitely would have had a better chance at winning, even if they were slightly off. They might have sort of limped across the line, but uh, no, didn't have that luxury against. No, the they dogs. didn't. I, I, I <laughs> have to give the dogs a lot of credit for this one. All right, so we've talked a little bit about this already, but let's really spell it out. How did the dogs beat Port in a game where? Port were the raging hot favourites. Where? where? Where do you start? I mean, it definitely starts in the middle. It starts with the pressure. that They were just prepared to do anything physical, even if it was small things, just little blocks here and there. Uh, that, that's how I saw Shaki playing Aaliyah. He was just doing really smart things to sort of disrupt. Um, yeah, that, that we just... They just wanted it more. They they really just wanted it more. They looked like they looked 
like they were playing with a chip on their shoulder. Really, they, the back's against the wall. No one rates us. No one wants us to be here. Um, yeah, let's let's just show them what they made what we made of. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to really analyze it beyond that. The pressure was huge, and and that just set the whole tone. They they took a lot of their chances. Guys like um like Mitch Hannon, I, yeah, I thought Hannon played an amazing game, but they thrive on that kind of style where it's just pinging around and yeah uh, it was just yeah but <laughs> I, I don't have a definitive answer but it started from that pressure it really did absolutely it's the pressure is the whole mark and then it just opens everything up the hard running of everyone but you know bailey smith exemplifies that and gets on the end of it four times and the i think the forwards played it really smart yeah. they weren't getting in each other's way they weren't allowing uh, their port opponents to sag off. So when the ball hit the ground, that was the other big thing. Just when the ball hit the ground, the Bulldogs were onto it with so much more ferocity and uh, cleanliness. And uh, Port just didn't give themselves a chance, obviously. But uh, everything was trending the dog's way and they were able to get plenty of score on the board. So this kind of brings me to my next question. Why are the Dogs so good at knockout finals? So they've come through 2016, won four knockout finals in a row, obviously the last one to capture that drought-breaking premiership. They've done three in a row here. Admittedly, you know, one against Brisbane could have gone either way. One point, you still got to win it. And uh, many would say they probably should have got knocked out there, but they didn't. Why are they so good at these knockout finals games, Johnny? Um... Well, I think you yeah, have to give a lot of credit to the coach just for setting those narratives and really turning it into a us versus them kind of thing. I mean, there's some coaches that have been really, really good at doing that in history. Um, yeah, I, I, he used to hear stories about Mick Malthouse and that doing things like that, but just always like having those articles up in the rooms, like the people are knocking us, you know, they don't rate us and all that. Luke Beveridge just seems to have this really good knack of taking something that um, has been said or has, you know, been suggested and really just getting a response from his players and, and the buy-in. That they all they all play for Luke Beveridge. There's no doubt about that. And that was that performance on Saturday really showed that they're dialed into to whatever the message is. So I think you have to start with yeah. that definitely. I think you definitely have to look at uh, that midfield. It, it's just it, that midfield has got everything, really. It's got the workmanlike part, facet. It's got the skill. It's got the goal kickers. It's got um, guys who could pinch hit in there and and just really use the ball well. You, you know, having a guy like Caleb Daniel, uh, there's just, there's not many players like that in the competition. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's a different team to a lot of teams you'd see out there and. I think we all agree that their best is... I don't think anyone's best is better. I think that's where you and I differ, Johnny. I still think Melbourne's best is better, but that's uh, that's my opinion. Um, but oh, look, I think I think just, Melbourne's best will win this grand final, but uh, I think when the Bulldogs are up and running, full deck, full uh, team, I think that... Jeez, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, they're hard to beat. They're hard to beat. They're hard to beat. So one thing I just thought of while you were talking there, Johnny, is uh, basically you've seen teams who just 
haven't been able to turn up for finals, which has been happening probably more regularly recently. You know, Geelong have had some stinkers over the recent years. Even Collingwood, they were absolutely out on their feet last year after winning their first final. And uh, I guess you would say Port here. I can I cannot imagine that happening with a Bulldogs team. It just... You wouldn't see one of those type of performances from them, at least not this incarnation of the Bulldogs. No. No matter what happened in the game, they were all, they would always give themselves a chance. They're going to be a team that you have to beat in a final. They're not going to lay no. down. They're, they're going to make things hard for you. It's, a, it's just a danger game, I guess, when you're coming up against them. And I don't know if it really matters sometimes with their personnel, who they're missing. I mean, I, I don't think it was a massive deal to not have Cody Waitman. Really, and even though he's going to help a lot when he's in there, um, yeah, I just go back to that whole buy-in thing. I really just think they play for each other and they play for their coach. And uh, it's a, you know, back in twenty sixteen, it was a bit like that too. It just felt like there was this real special aura around the Bulldogs, and yeah, they they I, they can definitely do it if they want if yeah, if they want to. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's. I think it's all set up to be a great game, and we'll do more of an in-depth preview. But uh, yeah, it has the makings of a potentially fantastic grand final. I think you could argue that this is one of the strongest matchups we've had in a grand final for some time. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll delve right into that in our next episode. But uh, I'd still favour Melbourne with what they've done this year over the journey and their ability to take away uh, the opposition's strengths. But uh, the Bulldogs are going to make it difficult. And uh, I think we had a bit of a chat about this in our group as well, Johnny, with uh, the messages. And people were getting a bit worried about the prospect of facing the Bulldogs. But I think think you actually want to beat a really good team in the grand final. Like, if you had a choice between... I know it's predicated on winning. You always want to win. But if you had a choice between a really hard-fought game and winning, even if you win by, like, 30 points in the end, but it being a really hard-fought game, or you compare that to something like, you know, Richmond's demolition of GWS in 2019, surely you want the memorable grand final where your team is actually challenged and they have to rise to the occasion. Surely that's a better memory. Yep. No, absolutely. I I would rather beat the best to be the best, but that's, you know, look, I'm not going to complain if it's not that. Um, But yeah, look, I I think, yeah, you you just want to beat. From a legacy point of view. Yeah. From a legacy point of view, you want that piece, I think. Like, I think that was why it was good for Richmond to actually face Geelong last year. And, you know, we've talked down on Geelong a little bit, but they still played a really good game in that grand final. They did. Whereas Adelaide, you know, that was that was a pretty good game as well. But, you know, Adelaide probably weren't to the same level as even Geelong. And then you had the one against GWS. So I think as a Richmond supporter, you would actually value the fact that you know, you, you got to a grand final and you had a really hard-fought contest against a worthy opposition and you still were able to put them away. I think that, to me, that would mean more than the one against GWS. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, and look, yeah, going going back to, I guess, the two teams, and we're going to go into this more next week, but yeah, I think across the board, definitely, and going back to, I guess, each team's best, that's kind of like, what is each team's best? Across the board, I think Melbourne's best as in if their structure is up, if their pressure's up, if their, you know, individual talents 
and talented players are up. I think our overall best is better. Uh, I think maybe when it comes to the, I guess, talent and that in midfield and that, that's where I sort of give Bulldogs a bit of a show. But across the board, I think, yeah, you look at something like Melbourne and go, uh, like system, talent, you know, coaching, moves, all that stuff. It's hard to go past Melbourne. Yeah. All right, let's jump back into this game. We went off on a bit of a oh, tangent of course, there, yeah. but uh, it was a good one, I think. <laughs> no, yes, I actually forgot that we were still going in the game. Yes. So let's uh, go back into this. How much damage does a heavy prelim loss do to a team like Port or even Geelong? And, you know, Melbourne's been through this as well. Yeah. How much damage do these crushing prelim losses do? Uh, it's, it, it can be fatal. It can be absolutely fatal. Um, yeah, especially if you're in Port's position. And I'm just using Port as the example first, obviously. But um, uh, I, I I kind of didn't quite understand why there wasn't enough talk about this and how Port were getting a really, really clear pathway to the grand final. It was just didn't seem to be mentioned much that they were the only team getting a home ground advantage in the finals and they were getting some very uh, good rubs of the green, I guess, with things like uh, we talked about how the first versus fourth is usually the easier one for the qualifying, but then first plays a harder game in the prelim and Port were getting their, quote, easy game in the prelim. Um, not to mention they... Didn't turn out that way. They didn't either. turn out that way. <laughs> and this is a very small, very small thing here as well, but... They also got an extra day break. Now, I know when it gets to the 13, 14-day mark, you're prob- that's probably splitting hairs, but the fact is that they did have it. Uh, but they had kind of all these things going for them. They were, you know, never tear us apart. Fans going crazy. Honestly, they're going to have some real sleepless nights, I think, over the next few months. That, that was really... I, I don't actually know how you come back from that. Like... I, I do think that, yeah, to answer your question, I think that it can be really bad. In their case, I, I'm very interested to see what happens with Port next year because, yeah, and, and they're going to have to, like, that. you would think they would not make the mistake that Melbourne did in 2018 and that actually review this because you you so. need to ask <laughs> some questions about that stuff. You don't forget like it You saw what happen. happened to... Yeah, saw so what happened to Melbourne in 2019 yeah. when they didn't review, right? Yeah. So go right down... The ladder, Look, and uh, I understand why they didn't at the time, but I think we now know that this is Port Adelaide have now done this two years in a row, two home prelim finals gone. Like it, something's got to give at one point, and you're not going to learn anything if you don't ask these questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess. It can do a lot of damage, and uh, you've referenced that, but it's all about what happens next, right? So yes. you can't just get roll it back again and say, oh, you know, we had an off day. I think you you got to make some changes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know what goes on in the inner workings of a football club, but well, the- you just can't put this to one side I don't think like you have to go really hard on looking what actually happened and what led you to this point and actually create a plan yes for to actually you know see a different result because if if your answer is oh you know we just had an off day we can get back there again 
I, th- I think you're kind of kidding yourself, really, because the chance that you're actually going to get back there and win the whole thing is very slim. Someone is going to get you if things don't change. I totally agree with that because I'm not a believer in this. We made it to the prelim. We've got a good side. Uh, we'll be back there next year. Like, just no one says that, but you can kind of sometimes gather that the thinking is in the subconscious of, yeah, we'll, we'll be back there. We'll be back there. Um, no, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed in the AFL. Teams are getting better all the time. Teams are strengthening. Look at all these teams like Essendon and, uh, you know, you could say GWS, I guess, Sydney. These teams could all be premiership contenders the next year or year after. So you're either you're either growing or you're not. Like, that's that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last one for this round of questions. Have the two best teams made it through to the grand final? Yes, yes. I think the two best teams all year were Melbourne and the Bulldogs. Aside from that one-month blip, I guess, from the Dogs at the end of the year. Yeah, look, it wasn't great, but uh, I do think this is the grand final that most people wanted, new and neutral fans. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got to say about that. It's quite funny, isn't it? The fact that a team can finish fifth, yet they're still considered the second best team. I guess it just shows how tight that race yeah. in the top six really was. Oh, that's hilarious. Just took a couple of uh, poor performances from the dogs and they fell right down with a bit of a lower percentage. Hang on, it wasn't even a low percentage, was it? But no. Yeah, well, it was a slightly, slightly lower, lower than Brisbane, obviously, but it was not a low... They didn't really have a low percentage per se, but... Yeah, it was just a really tight tussle with that top six all the way through and just a couple of stumbles at the wrong time, loss of a uh, bit of that hardness around the midfield and probably saw them fall from, yeah, second, first or second, all the way down to fifth. And uh, they've done it the hard way, but you kind of almost feel like the Bulldogs wouldn't really have wanted it any other way. Yeah. Like, obviously, they would have wanted to finish top four, but it's kind of gone right into their wheelhouse, the fact that they got Aston in week one, it rained. They got their game back a little bit there. They got the chance to go up to Brisbane and, you know, uh, face up to a slightly fragile team up there, got the job done, and then roll into this game where no one really was giving them much of a chance. It just It's kind of the perfect Western Bulldog script, if you want oh, to write it. It absolutely is. Absolutely. I, I don't... As, as impressive as that is, though, I don't want it to really take away too much from what Melbourne's had to go through as well. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> going off to play your first final in Adelaide, that wouldn't have been easy to start with, but they did it. Then hopping up in Perth and uh, having the week off when, it, you know, desperate to, I guess, you know, would, would have liked to have played, but the week off's always good. To get, win the prelim, perform like we did, and now another week off. I, I, I'd like to see that get a bit of credit as well because... You know, we always talk about momentum and stuff like that. I mean, it's hard to stop start, I reckon. Yeah, and no, I think they did it really well. Like they had the, uh, you know, tough match simulation where Smith did the hammy, but it seemed like it served them really well. Though Cherry Wright seemed yeah, going into that game, it really did. It really did. Uh, but yeah, take nothing away from the dogs. That it's done a lot of travelling. I heard somewhere that they'd done about ugh, three COVID tests in the space of. 14 days or something. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Incredible. All right. Well, as we've said multiple times, 
well, maybe it's just been me, but <laughs> I think we can agree that it's set up for a great grand final. And, you know, you never quite know whether you're going to get that great grand final, but the potential is definitely there. If uh, the Bulldogs in Melbourne both bring somewhere close to the levels they found in the prelim, I think we're going to have a fantastic game. I think it'll be an amazing first quarter, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we will be back next week with uh, the grand final preview. Also rolled into that, we'll do a bit of a recap of the last decade. So we're going to count down some of the top moments in grand final. So I'm not sure how many you're going to do there, Johnny. That'll be your assignment. Of course. But my, my half of the assignment is to order the uh, grand finals of the last decade. So counting down to the top or best game there. So that'll be a bit of fun. Yeah. And to go out, uh, tip for the Brownlow, Johnny, which is Sunday, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's a very tight race at the top with the betting. I think there's three or four guys that are at about $3, so it could be an interesting count. Do you have a uh, tip for the listeners? <sighs> yeah, I'm going to go with Ollie Wines. Yep. He's been very consistent, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I was on Bontempelli for a bit, but I think, uh, yep, yeah, the stats have been really good for Wines and, yep. Yeah. I reckon this is you. What about you? Interesting. As I think we've kind of had this chat a little bit before, I don't particularly trust the umpires to get we've... the votes right, yep. or at least the way the you know wider footy public might see it. Tra- uh, uh, Oliver has won most of the awards, and I think he would be a deserving yes. winner. I fear that uh, perhaps... He'll have some games where he doesn't stand out as much as he perhaps should. And, you know, maybe guys like uh, Track might take some votes off him. Who He will anyway. Yeah. But I think Oliver will be voting in a lot of games. So I think it'll just come down to whether he can get enough twos and threes. And if he can, I would back Oliver to be winning the count. Yeah, I think uh, if a Melbourne guy is going to win it, I would say Oliver. But, yeah, I'll stick with ones. It'll be close, won't it? I think be close. The, there's the top three in the betting, Bontempelli, Wines, and Oliver. And uh, I guess Bontempelli had that uh, four-game stretch towards the end where he probably didn't vote, so he's going to need a good lead at the, that point. But uh, he, I think he had plenty of best on ground, so should be a really interesting count. Could be a tie then. Could be, yeah. That would be interesting. This is, this is going back a few years, but let me just include this little... Uh, side Brownlow rant other than the fact nice. that I don't like the fact that the umpires, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of screw the counter. Yeah. But uh, do you remember, like, I don't know how long ago this would have been, say say like 10 or 15 years ago, the Brownlow counts used to be so good. Like the little recaps between rounds were so good. Yeah. They would, you know, go through the possessions, they'd go through what happened, yeah. they'd build it all up. Now it's just these little snippets of some of them are okay and some of them are just stupid things. Like they threw it in like, it's just not meaningful. It doesn't mean anything. It used to be so, so much better. I don't know whether you noticed that. Uh, oh, look, to, to an extent, I must say, I haven't watched a full brand count for a long time because I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'll, I'll watch it this year because we might have a few guys who will poll well, but honestly, I usually just turn it on somewhat near the end, which is usually about 10 yeah. o'clock or so. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember the old counts where they would go round by round and you'd get real 
sort of quick uh, rundowns on the games and yeah, things like oh, you know, yeah, Robert Harvey had thirty five possessions, da 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 da, things like that. They'd always yeah. like reference the um, you know, the, the people who are expected to poll well every game, like if they'd had a good game or yeah. something, and now. It's just none of no. that. Like, yeah. it's it's so superficial. Like, I used to absolutely love the Brownlow counts as oh, a kid, me too. and me too, yeah. I guess over the last sort of five years or so, I've been getting increasingly disillusioned by it. And like, it's still a fun night, but it's just, I guess, you know, maybe it's a bit different when you're a kid, but it's just. I think they could be doing a better job of it. Like, I know it's not everyone wants to see, you know, the full recap and everything, but you know. Yeah. Look at your look at your audience. You, they're football lovers. Do you not want like a proper, you know, a proper analysis of what happened? Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, get get us to do it. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Like, <laughs> I would love that. I would love it. If it was uh, just analysis and account, honestly. But I know you have to have some entertainment to you know appease the public. But uh, I would love that. I I can't stand all the dragging on and here's this uh, special segment on this person or whatever, and here's this band that no one's ever heard of or whatever or yeah <laughs> uh, fuck yeah there. anyway anyway we're getting a little bit off topic now <laughs> uh we've we've gone a long we've gone a long time but there was a lot to talk about obviously and uh yeah there'll be a really fun show next week i think for the preview of the grand final so yeah. Hopefully you guys will be able to join us for that one as well. Uh, thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. Yeah. We had some technical difficulties, but uh, we got through oh, it. Oh, worth it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, thanks for sticking with us on this journey through the season. And, uh, yeah, choose your sides, I suppose. The West or the Centre of Melbourne? Who are you going for? Bye for now. <laughs>